Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I love a Terminal 5. There's a good Jay Malone shot there. Little travel candle. I do love a travel candle. Well, hello and welcome to the Wellbeing Lab. It's me, Will Young, and I have to say, myself and Amy are both slightly giggly. We've both got the giggles. You know, you just get the giggles and then it sort of catches. I can't, I'm not even looking at you, Amy. Not even looking. But hope you're all well. Now, this is a good one and it's an opportune one. The topic this week is about exercise and mental health. Now, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I have joined the local gym and it's a big thing for me. Not just because I've joined and I've actually gone, one, because often we join, we don't go. Two, it's great to do some exercise. Number three, it really helps my mental health. And I have quite bad agoraphobia sometimes. Granted, it is only a minute away. But I felt really good the other day. And what are we talking about? Mental health and exercise. Someone asked us, ask, and we shall deliver. And we found Dr. Joseph Firth, who is a researcher based in Manchester, looking into mental health and exercise. As is the case with most scientists now, the the research efforts are all big and and collaborative. So I work with lots of other groups. A lot of the research we've done in the past has been around like aggregating the existing evidence from clinical trials, randomised clinical trials, and also conducting epidemiological research. Like that means population scale observational research to look at how physical activity impacts on mental health outcomes and our exercise interventions can help people receiving treatment for mental illness. And then right now I'm running a a new program of research, actually looking at how we can make use of digital technologies to help improve people's lifestyle and deliver lifestyle interventions in mental health care. Oh, so what do you mean by that? Digital technologies, apps? Yeah. So basically the idea that, you know, like there's been a lot of research now, as I'm sure you will have seen in the newspapers and stuff showing how exercise can be used to improve outcomes in people, say, treated for depression or treated for anxiety or even more my field, treated for very severe mental health conditions like schizophrenia. Exercise has been shown to be widely effective now across a whole range of different mental health conditions. But you'll probably also notice that it's not widely used in mental health care. And the, the biggest reason for that really is not because mental health care providers don't care about exercise. Most people, most psychiatrists or psychologists would acknowledge it's a good thing. It's just very hard to make it happen in real life because the mental health services, especially in the UK, are some of our most under-resourced services and overstretched at the moment. So adding extra things in like exercise is very difficult. Now, the idea with the new research project is to look at how we can make use of digital fitness, smartphones, uh, wearables and things like that to actually provide more cost-effective and scalable 
exercise interventions for people in the mental health care services that could actually be rolled out. So this is like my newest research project and we're still in the very early phases of testing out how to actually do that and what we can make work. But if that does turn out to be a path forward, that would be very beneficial because then it's something that we can actually move beyond just producing the research and just sending out the message to actually providing something in healthcare services for people with mental illness. Yeah, it sounds amazing. So let's talk about the science of what happens when you exercise and how that can benefit mental health. There must be a lot of things that go on in the body. There's a wide range of things that go off in the body and in the brain when we exercise, which is very beneficial for our mental health. So one of the main one of the main things flying around for a while was this idea of endorphins, that when we exercise, it releases endorphins, which is true, and that's responsible for the mental health benefits. But more recently, the science has kind of shown that that's now quite an outdated idea and the, the level of endorphins raised by exercise is probably not the thing that contributes to changes in mental health. But there is some other biological pathways some other nerdy things that are getting attention. Uh, BDNF is one, that's brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is like the prime neurotrophin in the body, which is responsible for producing new neurons in the brain and activating all those processes. And that's released almost immediately as soon as we start exercising and muscular contractions. Also, exercise reduces inflammation. It actually increases inflammation uh, temporarily when we start exercise, but overall reduces uh, chronic inflammation. And inflammation is something that's getting a lot of interest in the, in the mental health world at the moment because inflammation is actually connected to a wide range of mental health conditions. And then separately to that, there's the um, just like the wider social physiological benefits of physical exercise by maintaining regular physical activity. We keep our body's healthy, which is obviously important for reducing our risk of chronic physical health conditions like diabetes and cardiovascular disease and all those things. And the process of developing those also has an adverse impact on our mental health. So just by maintaining your physical health, you're already having a beneficial effect on preserving your mental health. Obviously, a lot of the time, exercise is something that's done socially or in the context of self-improvement and those type of things can give people a self-esteem boost, new social circles and those type of things are good for mental health as well. So really it's like this umbrella effect from these chemical processes, from these physical processes and these social processes that make exercise such a beneficial thing for anybody to take on to improve your mental health, whether you've got a mental health condition or whether you don't. Tell me about inflammation. That's fascinating. So inflammation can affect various mental health yeah illnesses there's a quite a lot of research now coming from like the fields of immunology and things like that suggesting well actually demonstrating that chronic mental health conditions be it long-term depression or for instance things like schizophrenia are actually associated with heightened levels of inflammation in the body on a chronic level so persisting over the course of years or months and this is obviously detrimental for someone's physical health because inflammation increases your risk of various different physical diseases like diabetes or cardiovascular disease things like that but then also could be impacting on people's mental health now for a long time separately to that psychiatric research that i've just spoke about there's been a lot of research done in the exercise sciences to demonstrate the effects of taking on physical exercise and the effect it has on inflammation in the body. So when we actually start exercising or a great amount of physical exertion, especially in the more intense exercise, our body responds to that by actually releasing these inflammatory cytokines, uh, but that's a healthy response to exercise. And uh, there's almost like a rebound of that as it helps our body regulate those inflammatory cytokines a lot better. And in people with 
chronic inflammation, taking up exercise can actually reduce that. It's like quite exploratory novel research, but the idea therefore being that exercise could have long-term benefits for mental health through reducing the heightened levels of inflammation associated with long-term mental health conditions. And schizophrenia, I always feel quite sort of scared when I hear schizophrenia. And I, in a way, I sort of feel like it gets a bad press. Do you know what I mean? Because you sort of things will come to mind when I think of schizophrenia, which I think I've probably seen in films or stories and things like that. I just think it would be interesting to get a definition of schizophrenia and also what you've found in terms of how exercise is changing a mental illness like that. Yeah, schizophrenia is certainly a very interesting condition. And even in the age of mental health awareness, unfortunately, schizophrenia remains quite stigmatised and it's associated with a lot of risks and like very... You know, maybe sort of even... Jekyll and Hyde and sort of, you know, someone will change. Yeah, exactly. And like the term psycho, which is maybe derived from the term psychotic, has been used in a very stigmatising way for a long time. But often people with schizophrenia, that's not the case really at all. Schizophrenia really means like a detachment from reality with what's most characterised by the psychotic symptoms associated with the illness. And that can include things like hearing voices that other people can't hear or seeing things that other people can't see or adopting patterns of thought that seem irrational or called delusional to other people and becoming absorbed with those. And those are quite well treated by antipsychotic medications and those very psychotic states are reduced pretty quickly in response to antipsychotic meds. But now the downside of that is that these medications don't treat the other aspects of the illness, which is like the low motivation and the inability to experience pleasure and like the social withdrawal and the cognitive deficits that all can occur alongside psychotic symptoms. And these get overlooked in clinical care once we've treated those psychotic aspects. So we've demonstrated through our previous trials, exercise is one of the best things that you can do for people experiencing schizophrenia to get over those other aspects of the illness and help them, you know, to go and live a more fulfilling and happy life, even while receiving antipsychotic treatment. And another big downside of antipsychotic treatment is it can have really adverse effects on people's physical health. I mean, it can really make people gain a vast amount of weight in a very short period of time. It can uh, make people feel very lethargic and sedated and things like that. And exercise seems to counteract a lot of those physical health side effects as well from antipsychotic medications. So, as much as schizophrenia is a very serious illness and it's sometimes hard for people to imagine how something as light and easygoing as exercise could be worthwhile in that care or even useful in the clinical treatment of schizophrenia. Our research has demonstrated quite convincingly now that the benefits of exercise go beyond just for general mental health or depression or anxiety, but even in the most you know severe cases, helping people to be more active and take up an exercise can have a whole myriad of positive effects on that individual's outcomes. And I suppose one of the hardest things about mental health and exercise is that if I'm feeling probably more low mood than anxious, but if I've got low mood, I sort of think, oh, probably some movement would be the best thing for me. You know, like I've got a Peloton downstairs. It sort of feels like I have to swim across an ocean just to get to the Peloton bike. You know what I mean? Because I'm feeling so lethargic and low and sort of nothing's really worthwhile and I don't have any energy but I know that actually getting onto that bike would definitely it's not going to harm it's not going to make it any worse and I've heard that quite a lot from people that it's the getting to the exercise that's the hardest bit yeah how can we sort of aid in that part of the journey 
Motivation is a big issue in exercise, even just for the general population. Yeah, which it is for, yeah. People living with a mental health condition or experiencing a mental illness of some sort obviously have additional barriers on top of what the general population face in terms of taking up exercise or even adhering to their regular exercise regime. So now, really, the biggest thing that we face in the exercise research is not proving the benefits, but finding ways to get people to exercise and feel engaged and involved in the exercise training. Now, there's a few things that we can do to emphasize this. I was working with the World Health Organization recently on their update of the physical activity guidelines, which now includes mental health. And the biggest message coming out of that is every move matters. And this is about emphasizing the importance to people of to get benefits, psychological or physiological from exercise, you don't have to, you know, be training for the Olympics or something like that. Even just going for a walk and even just doing the tiny amount that you feel able to do is going to start having the benefits. We find that when you get people moving a little bit, it makes it easier to move a lot. The hardest thing is really getting over that initial hurdle of starting. And if you go for a walk, then maybe you can go for a run and building up gradually is the key. So that needs to be emphasized. Now, the other thing is kind of the way that exercise is used in mental health care is right now not very effective and it's based on basically just recommending to people to exercise and we don't really provide anything engaging for individuals with mental health conditions. We've recently published a meta-analysis in the British Journal of Sports Medicine which looked at dozens and dozens of randomised clinical trials which are like the gold standard of, of medical evidence and trying to find out what type of exercise works best for depression and some of the key findings coming out of that is that exercise that is supervised or group-based seems to have bigger effects on depression. Now the actual exercise might be the same but the thing that's obviously driving the effect is the fact that you've got other people around you or you've got people involved in your exercise regime that'll actually keep you motivated to engage properly when you're there and then, you know, more likely to actually do it. So those adherence factors are the biggest things, really, the biggest hurdles in making sure that you get utmost benefits by getting people to exercise. So, yeah, it can be very difficult. And that's where it needs to become more of something that's actually provided through care rather than recommended through care. They talk a lot about exercise prescriptions and I think exercise prescriptions are very good. I'm wholeheartedly behind the idea. But the way it's often used is people think it doesn't work because even doctors or, or nurses or mental health care practitioners might think, well, I've told people to exercise, I've prescribed it and they've not done it. So it doesn't really work. But that's not that's not a prescription. I was going to say, how does that make it a prescription? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Just even suggestion. if you told people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the way the term is used, unfortunately. So do you think an exercise, this is really interesting, an exercise prescription could be not just your GP or someone going, why don't you try and take a walk or do this? But and actually it's like, we have this group and someone comes to your house at whatever time that can work for you and is trained a little bit in anxiety or whatever the person has and they'll take you for a 15 minute walk. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Describing exercise as a drug that you, if you could take it away in your little pill bottle, you know, does that happen at all? I know exactly what you mean. And unfortunately, that's not the way it's delivered, but that's the way it can actually work. Before I was back in Manchester, I was working over in Sydney for a few years. And there we set up a program called Take Charge, which is a more enhanced exercise prescription scheme where people get referred from the mental health services to their like local community gym, the same as in the UK where they have the community leisure providers 
who were responsible through the councils for providing leisure. And there were mental health champions based at the gyms who were basically personal trainers, upskilled a little bit in mental health. And they can act as a point of liaison for the patient, get in touch with the patient, try to book them in for sessions, show them around the gym, maybe introduce them to other people on the same scheme. And just by having that route into That's- like a more engaging way, you know, I think over 600 people have been taken through that now and completed the programme. It's benefited a lot of people, but it's just And that was just in lists. Sydney, was it? Yeah, yeah, it's still going at the moment, the Take Charge programme. What a brilliant idea. Yeah, what it's a brilliant, brilliant idea. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, when I've been radio, I have complex PTSD. And that comes with agoraphobia. I can get very physical reactions. And so when things didn't used to be as hard as like driving 30 minutes to go to a class or something, and I live in London, so it takes 30 minutes to get anywhere, whether you're driving or getting the tube. So I've modified it for me. So the Peloton, I've got Peloton. But before I had a Peloton, I've got stretchy bands. Yeah. And I can follow things on YouTube. And then these resistance bands, I mean, they're just amazing. I got them in lockdown. They're just amazing. I got in really good shape and also I changed the way that I approached exercise because I think often exercise is like Raw! push yourself to the limit and if you've got a dodgy nervous system you don't want to push yourself to the limit you know so I would do 10 minutes of resistance bands 10 minutes of ab works and now I have joined a gym but literally the gym is I mean a minute away from my house even I can get across even if I'm having a bag aquaphobic day you know but sometimes people saying go for a walk if you've got agoraphobia, that's like the worst thing. Yeah. Can't go for it. It's hard enough getting to walk the dog sometimes with me. So, you know, I don't think things are always modified for necessarily the condition that people have. Or gyms, you know, gyms are a very scary place. I've never enjoyed going into the main hub of a gym. I prefer doing classes because I find maybe the sort of macho-ness or, you know, what people are wearing it can be a bit intimidating whereas in the pilates class i don't feel as intimidated and i know them and i've done a lot of dancing so i'm used to that kind of studio but you know i think people need to know these things because just going to the gym is is can be intimidating for a person that doesn't have mental health difficulties we know plenty of people don't we that get memberships and they go god i've never even gone yeah yeah you know what i mean people yeah yeah but i really noticed interesting what you're saying about the research you mentioned that people, if they do it with a group, you know, or with other people, that there can be more benefits maybe from that. And I certainly noticed that yesterday being in, in a class with other people, I sort of instantly felt, I was like, oh yeah, this is fun. You know, whereas it's fine doing the Peloton, but it's nice to be do stuff with other people. 
Yeah, definitely. And as you were saying then about just doing 10 minutes with the bands or something, it's all about meeting people where they're at because the fact of the matter is, and the science increasingly supports this idea, it doesn't really matter what type of exercise you do. It's not that running is better than swimming or Pilates is better than weightlifting or whatever, but what is better is making sure you're advising someone and helping someone to do a form of exercise that they're actually personally feel comfortable with and personally enjoy for two reasons. Number one, obviously the mental health benefits will be better at the time if they're enjoying it. And number two, the only chance somebody has of sustaining something over time is if they're getting something back out of it. Like, you know, they're enjoying the process, they're feeling engaged with it and they're feeling comfortable. So we need to be working more towards those type of approaches, definitely, rather than trying to figure out what type of exercise is best. It's kind of a silly question because it's it yeah. all depends on the individual. Yeah, and it sort of seems obvious, really. And I want to ask you about perhaps the disparity in terms of, you know, the costings of these things. But I just think, wouldn't it be brilliant? Like, I've joined this that happens to be a virgin gym, but actually it suddenly crossed my mind hearing you talk about Sydney. You know, why don't virgin gyms have a mental health advocate in every gym they have? I mean, it would just make sense. Yeah, it feels like it should just be more commonplace, doesn't it? And it is obviously can be quite expensive to deliver those in-person interventions, but we do a lot of in-person interventions for mental health conditions like therapy, you know, psychological therapy. Why don't we have like an exercise therapist who's part of mental health care? If this is an evidence-based treatment that can help people and certain types of people, just like certain types of people don't want to do exercise. Certain types of people don't want to do talking therapies. They maybe well, exactly. prefer something. So it's good to offer both really. But maybe there could be a sort of buddy system, you know, that it can be volunteers or yeah. If I say to my friend Tony, oh, should we go for a run this weekend? We're more likely if we both go saying we're going to do it. Yeah, that's what we're kind of trying to link at the minute, um, a more user-friendly version of exercise, supervised exercise, where we're going for the young people with severe mental health problems, such so young people in the early stages of what might be schizophrenia, early psychosis, and we're offering them twice weekly home workout sessions so we deliver the sessions like through a zoom group then they get a link and they join and people can have the cameras on or the cameras off and it's all pitched at their level of activity we choose the types of workouts that that group enjoys so one week it might be pilates one week it might be boxer size one week it might be home aerobics and or press-ups or whatever it might be and kind of work with a group to come up with unique training sessions every time and, and let people feel comfortable and knowing that they're only having to do those you know short sessions twice a week and then try to be more active outside of that and you'll still see huge benefits for physical and mental health just from taking up some exercise compared to you know complete sedentary behavior which is there's other studies showing that by even just being sedentary for very long periods of time you can worsen your mental health by increasing levels of inflammation again so that's quite well studied as well now so it's not just about making people super fit or whatever it's partly just uh, reversing the adverse effects of our sedentary lifestyles that 99 percent of mm. people get roped into by too much tv too much phones yeah. too much work sitting in the office yeah yeah exactly yeah okay so exercise is also a huge industry sportswear is massive isn't it how you look yeah it's like exercise probably like a lot of things has been sort of hijacked and can be made a lot more intimidating because it's sort of glamorized and made to sort of like I said I'm going to the gym and a friend said to me oh you're going for the beach body for the summer and I was like no I'm not I mean he didn't mean it like that but I'm like no I just need to get back in shape again I think it was shit how I look on the frigging beach and you see it a lot in the gay community it's like you, you exercise so you look good it's all about looks isn't it it's all about surface with exercise it needs to be rethought and resold I think 
Yeah, I agree. And that's a major problem with the messaging. And a lot of it is just about weight loss or looking good. And really, even when people join our exercise programs, which is specifically for people with mental health conditions, the main reason why they'll be joining is because they want to lose some weight. (laughs) It's kind of like, and you don't want to discourage people if that's their personal goal and that's what's on their mind. It motivates them to join in. But you'd hope that as they get into exercise, they realise that there's a lot more to the benefits than losing weight. And the reason why they're thinking that is not their fault. It's because the way society frames exercise is as a mechanism for weight loss or getting the Love Island body or whatever it might be. When really it's not, it's not supposed to be about that. It's about staying fit, staying strong, staying healthy and experiencing the psychological benefits of that type of lifestyle. Let's talk about the cost of things. And does that sort of restrict people? Because there I am whispering on about me joining the gym, which by the way, it has really helped my mood because it's I've been wanting to do it for so long and I've finally it's been a big quite a big step for my agoraphobia to do it even though it's a minute away but it's a virgin gym and it costs a lot of money it's very well worth it for me and I can afford it but you know a lot of people can't so how sort of I don't know if this is the right word but sort of democratic is exercise or accessible is a better word yeah I think I know I've been banging on about this but online technologies can be making things a bit more uh, especially with like personal training or group training a little bit more accessible and cheaper for people more deliverable then separately to that the UK and Australia and probably other countries across Europe have pretty good like community gyms you know that are supposed to be council run or the council has outsourced their management to a leisure company that they've kind of contracted but basically in control of the local councils all the resources are there but if we can make use more of the resources existing at our community leisure schemes to connect them with mental health care I think there's a lot of potential in that as well for making it more accessible for people. One of the biggest things in terms of like cost is time cost. And, you know, a lot of people who might be struggling with mental health conditions or stress or something might not have the time or they might have a job and a family and all these other things that are going to tire them out so much. It makes it difficult to actually get the time and energy. The cost of actually doing exercise can be prohibitive for some people in that respect. But then that's why exercise is not necessarily the first and only thing you need to look at for people's mental health. If they're living a life where the job's stressing them out and they don't have any time, yeah. then there's other things you know to work on as well. So, yeah. But, you know, one, I don't think you've been banging on about digital things. I think it's the free way of exercising. I mean, I've used 10-minute abs on YouTube and 10-minute buns and 10-minute legs for the last 10 years. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and it's this some crazy guy from the 80s. I mean, he just looks insane and it's so brilliant. It's so camp. I think Jennifer Lopez brought it to people's attention. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, I can't even imagine how many views it's got, but it's like, it's an old 80s exercise DVD video, VHS, that is yeah. on YouTube. And it's bloody brilliant. Yeah. He makes me smile because he's bonkers. The outfits alone are enough to get me through the 10 minutes or eight minutes. It's eight minute abs. Yeah. I mean, they all look like they're from Gladiators, you know, that show in the 90s. But you're right, you can. And, you know, there are so many, how brilliant that there's so many ways now that you can use new digital means to exercise. Yeah, I think it's great for connecting people with exercise, with things like Strava, for people who like to run or cycle. They can, you know, be connected with other people into the same things. Like you say, home workouts is a really, really popular one. You can have access to some of the best trainers in the world just at your at your mobile phone on YouTube and things. So it's becoming more accessible through digital tech. But at the moment, digital tech is mostly making us more sedentary. So it'd be nice to kind of shift the balance to finally use digital technologies to yeah. make people more active. And also, I'm going to throw this out there. I joined a couple of apps during COVID and 
I probably still subscribe to them. You know, I'm one of those people that's like, oh, I'm still paying them. I didn't use them. I didn't use it once. Yeah. <laughs> you and probably millions of other people. Zillions of others. Yeah. <laughs> but I did use my stretchy bands. I'm obsessed with my stretchy bands. Um, what has surprised you in the research you've been doing? What things have sort of come up that you thought, my God, I would never have thought that. And what are you excited about alongside digital things for the future? The thing that's probably surprised me most recently is not from our group's work, but from another group who are based in Boston at Harvard. And they've done some really interesting, like large scale genetic studies where they can actually figure out the causes of depression or even being physically active by looking at genetics and observational data over time in individuals. And then they've basically been using those massive scale studies, talking like, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people to look at which causes which with regards to does low physical activity cause depression or does depression cause low physical activity? And I would have actually thought it would work equally both ways because it's becoming more accepted now that physical activity can reduce your risk of developing depression. And our group's done a lot of work to demonstrate that pathway. But then mm. equally, when you see people with depression, it can be a lot harder for them to be more active. Physically so, active. Yeah. But then these these latest studies seem to indicate that the vast majority of the relationship and the significant relationship is driven by physical activity protecting against depression rather than the other way around so and that, that tilts me into what's coming next for the research as well which is i think as much as we talk about exercise as a treatment for depression or exercise as a treatment for mental illness and all this i think that's all great it's kind of like a little bit too far down the line and things need to mm. go take a step back and say exercise should be used for preventing and reducing people's risk of all different types of health conditions physical and mental and we need to focus on making society more fit and active kind of like we used to be probably just so that people are more able to engage in regular healthy types of physical activity there's a lot of work being done with like active cities a lot should be done around making exercise a more acceptable like social a lot of our social stuff especially in the uk is just based around like boozing for instance and you know trying yes. to make exercise part of society again i think is a key from young children right to older adults and that is where the research should really go now to looking at like the public health style interventions rather than just integrating it into healthcare. You sh shouldn't even need to get there. You should have a healthy, active society where everyone's equally able to engage in regular, healthy amounts of physical activity would be the way to go. But that's the key question. How do we do that? Well, the first thing I'm thinking of is schools because, mm. I mean, I was sporty at school, so was my brother, but we went to a school which had a lot of different sports. Yeah. You know, there weren't just one or two sports. We could do five or six every term and I remember when I filled in my UCAS form if it's still called that for university I spoke a lot weirdly about exercise and how important it was for me because I used to do a lot of running and I kept it up all through when I was doing A-levels. What type of running did you do Will? Long distance or? Well I was a 400, 800 meter runner. Right yeah. And I'm gonna say I was quite good and then I did do a bit of cross country yeah, yeah. but I was more of a you know shorter distance I never did long long but when I was revising i I would go for a run with a friend every day, just clear our heads and it's so yeah. good for us. I'm mentioning that because I think it, the opportunities were there for me to do the exercise. So from a young age, I learned the benefits of exercise and everything that comes with exercise or being in a team, you know, and all those kind of things. But if you don't get those opportunities, so maybe it's a young thing, but I can, you know, you get people young, but I, I think you're completely right. Physical exercise, why not concentrate on that? So it stops people falling into then difficult times later on so get it before times get difficult i mean obviously i know things can be more nuanced than that 
feel like maybe it should be really prescribed more. I mean, it, it would probably save the NHS a lot of money as well. Oh yeah, massively, because it's not just the mental health effects. Mental health conditions are so expensive, but it prevents everything else as well. It's not just yeah. one thing, yeah. Thank you so much, and um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks to you as well. It's been very nice to meet you and discuss this topic, and I'm very grateful of you guys taking in interests and raising awareness around these important subjects and the developments in the research as well. So thanks again for having me on. Loved it. Love him. Dr. Joseph Firth. It's a good name. You know who my neighbour is? Dr. Joseph Firth. You know who's coming around for dinner? Dr. Joseph Firth. Yeah, let us know, as ever, what you think of that. And also, you know, let us know what's helped you. Like, what exercises... I bang on about these resistance bands, which is because they're so easy, you can carry them in your back pocket. But let us know what's helped you, or what you found hard, or what maybe people said, try and do this, and you were like, well, I'd love to, but I feel too shitty. You know, was there one particular person that's helped you uh, get into a certain type of exercise? Maybe it's martial arts, maybe it's Tai Chi. Who knows, could kickboxing could be hurting, but get in touch. Here are your messages. You've been in touch and thank you very much. Someone via Instagram says, I've had a GP tell me that everyone gets down in the dumps before their period and say my suicidal ideation every month is a bit dramatic. God, that's awful. I'm so sorry. That is so invalidating and harmful. And the person goes on to say, I was hospitalised after having each of my two babies, so I think the hormonal connection is clear. Or are they right? Am I overdramatic? Well, I don't think so. If you if you have suicidal ideation, you have suicidal ideation. It's not for anyone to label that. I'm really sorry that's happened, and I hope our episode helped. Someone else, thank you for talking about PMDD. It really needs the awareness. Another message. Thank you so much for doing your podcast on PMDD. Our sufferers need a voice first in getting diagnosed, which takes years, but secondly, for our friends and family to truly understand exactly what we're going through. It's not that we are just tired. There is so much more to this illness. And because PMDD is not really known or talked about, family and friends, without maybe realising, are also gaslighting us as well as the medical profession. So I truly thank thank you. Well, that's really, that's really sweet. Thank you. Last message. I've just finished listening to your gut health podcast. I found this so interesting and informative as I've always had gut problems. Thank you for all these sessions. Oh, well, that's that's brilliant. That's a good little mixed bag there. And, um, you know, as ever, I hope that people feel less alone uh, when they come across a topic that maybe helps them see their life in a different way and without as much judgment. So thank you so much for getting in touch. Follow the podcast and get in touch. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Wellbeing Lab is how you find us. And if you want to send an email, it's hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com. And yes, that is Domino snoring in the background. He reads all the emails. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the Acast Creator Network? It's true. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.